The following is a basketballnews.com production. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone, wherever time zone you are and whatever time you're listening. This is the Sheridan Show on basketballnews.com. I'm Chris Sheridan. I've been covering the NBA for a long time. I have a new home. It's basketballnews.com, and I'm joined today by fellow journalist and managing editor Alex Kennedy and former NBA coach Vinny Del Negro, uh, both on the staff at basketballnews.com. It's your new go-to site for all things NBA and all things basketball. And uh, we're coming to you on the day between day, games one and two of the 2020 NBA Finals. Uh, we're going to autopsy that slaughter, <laughs> and we're going to look ahead to game two uh, because Miami's got some work to do to, uh, to even this series up with the Los Angeles Lakers. A lot of people seem to be giving up on them. But, uh, Vinny, I'm going to start with you. There's, a, there's always a, I don't know, a, a tendency to, to, after game one to say, oh, it's over. You know, that was such a slaughter, and the Lakers, the Lakers beat them up so bad after the first five minutes of the game that uh, there's no way on, on earth that Miami could ever recover from such a thing. Why don't you speak to the idiocy of that statement? Every game and every series is totally different. Uh, obviously, the big issue is is is, is how healthy Dragon, uh, you know, Dragic is, and obviously Bam um, with their injuries. Um, they have to have those two guys playing at a very high level. Uh, we saw last night where Miami got off to a good lead, was kind of playing their style, but then the Laker bench came in, and really with Rondo and Kuzman things, they really changed the changed the momentum dramatically and. The Lakers continually went on some big runs, and Eric Spoelstra kept calling timeouts, but he only has so many timeouts to kind of control these runs. And once that happened, the the Lakers got in transition. Anthony Davis got some easy baskets. LeBron got some easy baskets. And then Miami was battling uphill. And with, you know, Dragic's injury, Jimmy Butler, you know, kind of hurt his ankle right before the half. Um, And then Bam going down. Uh, Not a good health sign for Miami. But, you know, we got to see how healthy these guys are. And I really was impressed with the Lakers' focus. Um, one of the things that struck me was right at the start of the third quarter, if you watch, you see LeBron James picking up full court and, and being in a stance and being engaged. You see Dwight Howard in a stance being active. Um, so when the Lakers are locked in like that defensively, their defense creates a lot of havoc and gets them out in the open court, which uh, is where they're at their best. And uh, Alex, your take on uh, just your overall thoughts on um, the just I guess the nature of the slaughter in uh, in Game One. Uh, you know, the final score was one sixteen to ninety eight, and uh, Lakers beat them up every which way you could and got thirty one bench points. Uh, what'd you take away from that game? Yeah, it was an impressive showing from the Lakers. I mean, it went uh, just about as good as it could have for the Lakers. Uh, obviously, I, I, like Vinny said, I, I want to make sure. Uh, you know, Bam and, and Goran Dragic are, are healthy going forward. Um, Jimmy Butler obviously went out of the game at one point, too. So, you know, Miami's three best players leaving the game at, at different points is never ideal. Uh, hopefully, you know, they'll be at full strength going forward. But, uh, we're, you know, we'll have an update here on that soon, hopefully. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, if you're the Lakers, you have to feel really good about what happened. Anthony Davis was just dominating out there. You know, this is his first NBA Finals performance, obviously. So it was good to see that he stepped up and didn't shy away from the moment. Uh, and, you know, Chris, you and I had talked about this, about how the Lakers have the two best players in this series, and then Miami is a is a really deep team. They have a lot of really, you know, good key contributors. But really, it was the Lakers' role players that impressed me uh, yesterday. You know, you have different guys stepping up. You know, 
whether it's Contavious Caldwell-Pope or John Rondo, Alex Caruso, Danny Green. I mean, the, these guys played really well. So I think, you know, one thing that I was kind of paying attention to entering the series was the Lakers' experience uh, versus the, the Heats. You know, the Lakers have seven players that have played in the NBA Finals, six players that have won a ring. Three of those guys have multiple rings. So this stage is nothing new to the Lakers. Whereas you look at the Heat, the only player in their rotation that's been to the finals uh, or had the championship is Andre Iguodala. You know, Udonis Haslam has one as well, but, you know, he's not in the rotation. So I, I think that's a factor here. Um, you know, the Lakers understand the importance of every possession and understand the importance of having a big game won. Um, but with that said, you know, we've kind of seen, especially in the bubble, that if teams are behind, they can definitely come back. You know, we've seen that with the Denver Nuggets and other teams in the bubble. So, you know, I think the way, if you're the Miami Heat, you look at this as a learning experience. You kind of look at it as a fact-finding mission. And from here, you make adjustments. Hopefully, they're at full strength so that they can, you know, come back and still compete in the series. Because if they're, if they're missing those top three players, I mean, this series is over. Uh, fortunately, Butler seems okay. He played through the injury. But if the other two are down, you know, it's going to be probably a sweep, uh, a very quick series. So hopefully those teams, uh, you know, but hopefully both teams are, are completely healthy going forward. But, yeah, it was a very impressive showing for the Lakers. Yeah, I think the two, the more likely of the two to miss uh, game two would probably be Goran Dragic uh, if he truly has a torn plantar fascia. And he would be replaced in the starting lineup by Kendrick Nunn. Um, but Kendrick Nunn started a majority of the games for, for Miami. A lot of people forget that before the pandemic shut everything down. Kendrick was an undrafted rookie starting at point guard for the Miami Heat and uh, and playing rather well. Can you give us a little bit of a scouting report on this kid out of uh, Oakland University? Uh, he's quick. He's athletic. He can get to the rim. Um, you know, but as good as he is, obviously, uh, I'm hoping that it's not an Achilles situation for Dragic. I, you know, uh, I, I love the way he competes. He's been such a hard-nosed player for a number of years. He's played fantastic in uh, the whole playoff series has been a catalyst for them. So I, I you know, I, and it's the finals, it's his first finals and being hurt like that in the first half in the game one, I just hope that's not the case. I lo- love to see him out there, but I think none will give him obviously good athleticism and energy. He's not Dragic. Um, that's why he comes off the bench, but um, you know, guys have to, the next guy up in line has to step up and play. He'll compete. He's a tough nosed kid. He can get to the basket, make some shots, but uh, the Dragic, if that's the case, and that if that is the case on his injury, that's a big loss. I mean, put yourself in Eric Spolster's position. Uh, you got a team like the Lakers that, uh, of all the teams in the bubble, the 22 teams, the Lakers are second in uh, three-point percentage, and last night they banged down 15 threes. Um, so if they're knocking threes down, now you have to get up on them. Now it gives LeBron and these guys ability to uh, get to the rim, create more space, make easier plays. So um, it's a tough thing. I thought, you know, at, at times uh, Miami wanted to mix in some zone, um, but when you have Anthony Davis that can get at that elbow and just throw it over the top, he's got an elbow jump shot. It's a pretty easy shot for him. Um, but the easy baskets they got, uh, the personnel issues that we've talked about so far with injuries are going to be key. And right now the Lakers look like uh, uh, unstoppable the way they played last night. But like I said before, every game is different. Um, are they going to play more zone? Are they going to do different things against LeBron? But if the Lakers are knocking threes down, it's going to take some of the defensive options away from uh, Coach Spolstra. That's that's pretty insightful stuff, Vinny. Uh, Alex, um, obviously, if Kendrick Nunn comes in, they got another young guy who's rolling, going to be rolling with Tyler Hero and uh, uh, and, and Duncan Robinson. And uh, Duncan had a real tough night, over three. 
uh, in 27 minutes, he only got off three shots. Um, that was quite unusual. Tyler Hero got off 18 shots, but he only made six of them, and he was a minus 35. That's uh, the worst plus minus of anybody in the game. Uh, what did you make of the of the struggles of the kids, uh, Alex? Yeah, I think, you know, especially in the first game, it's kind of to be expected. These guys don't have that experience on this stage. So, you know, some players are affected more than others. You know, it's funny, Kendrick Nunn, he's someone that is super confident. I interviewed him last year in my podcast. Uh, it was right after he had signed with the Miami Heat, you know. Uh, he hadn't even played his first game yet. And, you know, he, it's this kid coming on. He's an undrafted rookie coming on my podcast telling me he's going to be a Hall of Fame player and rookie of the year and all this stuff. And I was kind of blown away, to be honest, because uh, he's just super confident. So, you know, I, I'm not surprised to see him be the one that steps up and shoot 8 of 11 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3. You know, he uh, – he, he feels like he's already a star and uh, is ready for this moment. So, um, you know, he stepped up. But, yeah, you mentioned Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson. Those guys struggled. I feel like with Tyler Hero, it didn't help that his first few shots were misses and, and not – and then his first make was a pretty bad make. I mean, yeah, I think it was an accidental bank shot from the corner there. So, he, he seems like he was a bit nervous. Uh, you know, I think Robinson is the same way. Um, I mean, it, it's tough when you're, you're playing on that stage. I think – Miami's fortunate that they're in the bubble because they don't have to face a, a hostile crowd. And it'd be much tougher if, you know, they were in Staples Center and Lake Nation, or Lakers Nation was, you know, screaming and going nuts. You know, that's, that's one advantage that Miami has. That, you know, when you don't have to face that, that crowd, it, it does make things a little bit easier. But I will say, you know, being on the stage, it can be nervous for the, you know, nerve wracking for those guys. So I think that was a factor. The question is, you know, will they be able to calm down, settle in, and be able to knock those shots down going forward because they're such a big part of this Miami offense. Tyler Hero has done a fantastic job in these playoffs, and especially last series in the conference finals, you know, knocking down shots. Um, and it is good to see that he kept shooting. You know, some of these players, if they start struggling, they're just going to shut down and, and stop shooting. You know, the fact I kind of like the fact that he put up 18 shots, even after he struggled early. Uh, so ideally, he'll be able to bounce back and yeah, Duncan Robinson, I mean, he's so important for what they do as far as spacing. Um, you know, he can obviously score a lot of points in a very short amount of time. So Miami's going to need these guys to step up, especially if, you know, they're injured and their top players are injured going forward. It's going to be on these young guys to take on a bigger role. You know, Kendrick Nunn, it's been interesting to watch him this year because sometimes he's amazing. And, you know, you mentioned he was a starter for much of the season. You know, sometimes he's great. Sometimes he really struggles defensively. Sometimes he, you know, doesn't have it offensively. So you know, we'll see which Kendrick Nunn shows up for the rest of the series. But ideally, these guys will settle down, and, you know, those were just kind of game one jitters. Yeah, Kendrick Nunn was 8 for 11 in, in a little short, shy of 20 minutes. Uh, he, he had 18 points. He played played well, uh, but a lot of that was garbage time. Um, Coach uh, Del Negro, I, I want to turn it to Jimmy Butler. You know, the, he got off to that great start. They were up 23 to 10. And Jimmy, Jimmy Butler had nine points in the first six minutes of the game, but he only finished with 23. What, what do you think happened there? Uh, you know, well, one, at the end of the half, he hurt his ankle. Um, but Jimmy's a tough kid. He's a, a great competitor. We know that. You know, the issue is, is you know, Jimmy's got to guard LeBron. Or then you put, um, you know, Iguodala played 25 minutes. He's on LeBron. Or then you have Jay Crowder. He's on LeBron. But what the Lakers do is they just get into some type of pick and roll, and they make sure that Duncan Robinson or Nunn or Hero or one of those guys, then they open, they switch, and then they open up the court. I think Miami has to do a better job of, not switching as much at times as they can and keep more size uh, like Crowder or Butler and Iguodala on LeBron because once he opens up and sees those guys switch, he's going to attack them. And he's just so physically dominant 
he's going to get to the rim. He's going to get fouls called. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, if, if Bam doesn't play at a high level and Miami doesn't work the shot clock and go into dribble handoffs and back doors and make the Lakers guard and get off good productive shots, the Lakers then are going to lock in defensively and get out in the open court. So um, it's going to be a testament of some of the adjustments Miami makes. And like you said, Tyler Hero's got to make shots. Uh, you know, none these guys. You know, Kelly Olenek could be a guy that comes off the bench that open up the court that can knock some shots down. But they're going to have to score some points against the Lakers. And if Dragic's uh, injury is actually what it is or if Bam can play, I, don't, I really don't know how Miami's going to uh, be able to score enough points and put enough offensive pressure on the Lakers. Well, we've seen strange things in, the, in these playoffs. Game five uh, of the Lakers Nuggets, Jamal Murray's playing on one leg, and uh, Nikola Jokic is, yeah. is uh, hampered by foul troubles, and the game was still tied with six minutes left. So uh, I, I always tell writers, don't write until you, <laughs> you're absolutely positively sure the game is over. And the series is not over after one game, but you're right. You're both right. No. <laughs> without those, without you know, two of those three guys, the, the Heat cannot win the series. Um, but let's see. You know, Bam's injury might keep him out one game, and and and, and then he might be back for game three. So, uh, and if it's a two-zero situation, then certainly game three is a must-win situation for Miami. But it, it is best of seven, so you got to win four of these things. And uh, we'll come back to the NBA Finals uh, later on in the show. But Vinny, I wanted to turn our attention to the one of your old teams, the Los Angeles Clippers, because it was just a couple of days ago that Doc Rivers lost his job. And uh, there are reports out there today that Ty Lue is the leading candidate, um, and, and he's going to take over a team uh, that, that might be the most talented team in the Western Conference uh, with, with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and you know, all the depth they have. They had four guys average over 18 points. No team had done that in over 50 years. Vinny, um, when, when the new coach, whoever it is, takes over that team, what's the number one thing he's got to do to get those those guys to overperform uh, and do better than they did this year? They, You know, when they were down against the Nuggets um, in those games, uh, five, six, and seven, where they lost double-digit leads, their body language was horrible. They, they gave up those leads, Denver went up, and, and they just looked dead on the floor. And that, that, that's a reflection of something, and I'm not sure what, but looking ahead, um, if, you know, what do you think the number one challenge will be facing the new coach in terms of getting that roster to gel? Well, obviously, it is probably the most talented roster, if not one of the most talented rosters, with Kawhi and Paul George and, you know, Lou Williams and Montrose Harrell, the sixth man, and the depth that they have. And, um, you know, the, you, you touched upon it, their body language. Um, the, the coach that comes in is going to have to figure out you know, why that body language was like that and get some spirit back in into the uh, into the team. Um, we know that it's a, a different year this year in the bubble and practice time and whatever, but at the end of the day, um, if you're going to lose, you have to lose fighting, you have to lose trapping, you have to lose – if you're going to lose, you have to lose being aggressive and doing things. And the Clippers gave up a lot of big leads, um, and they weren't able to mentally, it looked like, fight back from that from a – a spirit standpoint. So uh, there's got to be some, you know, accountability. There has to be some leadership that takes over in that locker room because there's going to be adversity. Things aren't always going to go perfect. Every shot's not going to go in, every adjustment, and if a defensive strategy is not always going to work. So how are you going to battle through that collectively as a group? So the coach's thing is whoever gets the job will come into one of the most talented teams, uh, to a committed ownership group, uh, to a city that now expects the Clippers to play at a much higher level in the playoffs. 
um, with the roster that's been assembled. Uh, so, you know, it, it's a long season, and you're going to go through different adversities. But uh, when your back's against the wall, how are you going to respond? And what are we going to go to? And who's going to step up as a leader uh, to handle those uh, adverse moments and come together as a team collectively because we know the talent is there, um, but talent uh, doesn't always win. What wins is a group that's together, uh, that has talent, uh, that understands the adversity and plays biggest in the biggest moments, and they have enough talent on that roster to do those things. Not to skip you over, Alex, but I got another question for uh, for Vinny because it's a coaching job uh, uh, yeah. question. The Houston Rockets job is open as well, Vinny, and uh, but it's Mike D'Antoni's roster, which means there are no centers on that team. Clint Capella, their center, was <laughs> traded to Atlanta at the deadline. Uh, they played small ball, and um, and they don't have a center left, so other than Tyson Chandler. Um, so it, you know, whoever gets that job, um, how much of a roster? Uh, uh, turnover do you think needs to be done there? And do you think that Russell Westbrook and James Harden uh, can continue to play together? Or do you think the team needs to look at moving Westbrook? Well, I mean, you know, you never want to, you know, you never want to move one of the top players in the league. And we know Westbrook is that guy. We know obviously James is that guy. So um, it, it really is going to come down to uh, what Daryl Morey with the front office, with the ownership group, um, you know, the owner, what style of play they want that fits, that fits their roster and then go out depending on who they hire as their coach and, and, and get players that fit that. Obviously, uh, you know, Mike's philosophy is, is outscore you and shoot threes. And they've been very successful uh, in the regular season, haven't had as much consistent success in the playoffs with that. So uh, does, uh, you know, the ownership uh, and Daryl want more balance offensively and defensively? Do they want to go out and continue to play small and try to outscore people? Um, but it's really going to just, you know, dictate who they hire and what type of balance they want at both ends of the court and how, you know, Russell and, uh, you know, James can coexist. Both guys, you know, uh, have the ball a lot in their hands, want the ball in their hands a lot, um, and they should have it. They're both dynamic players and two of the best. So it's really going to be style of play that's going to dictate uh, which direction they're going to go and what they want to do in free agency and in the draft and move forward with players that build into that system. Uh, but they have to pick the system they want. They have to pick the coach that um, is comfortable in that system with players he's going to have to coach and how they want to play style-wise, um, and then go from there. They've had very good success, but obviously they're looking at uh, when you have a Harden and a Westbrook on your roster, you know, you're looking to go deep in the playoffs and try to hang banners and win championships. And uh, it's going to be their ability to coexist with their chemistry because everybody else will fall in line but the line's going to be dictated on their style of play. Mm, interesting, interesting. And you, you mentioned the draft, and Alex, I want to turn to you now because I know you've you've spent the, a good portion of this week interviewing draft prospects. Um, the draft is set for November 18th. Uh, the top five is Minnesota, Golden State, Charlotte, Chicago, Cleveland. And let me ask you this, Alex, who's the most interesting guy you've interviewed this week? That's a great question. Uh, honestly, I, I like some of the guys that aren't as notable. Um, someone like Desmond Bain is really interesting. He's a guy that tested the waters last year, and I actually got a chance to meet him and talk with him at the Pro Basketball Combine, you know, the secondary combine for uh, draft prospects that want some extra attention, uh, guys that didn't get invited to the NBA Combine. Um, and he's someone that last year was being projected in the 50s, maybe even undrafted. So he returned to school at TCU and had a really strong year. Now he's looking like one of the best shooters in this draft class. And, you know, during the draft combine interviews, you know, he really impressed me. He's really professional. 
uh, had, you know, long, really in-depth, smart answers for every question. Um, I was really impressed with him. Another one is uh, Tyrell Terry. He's another guy that's a great shooter. Kind of reminds me of Steph Curry in terms of personality. Just a really nice kid. Um, he's someone that didn't expect to be here, kind of like Curry from Davidson. Um, you know, he's someone that went to Stanford and expected to be in school for several years and then just had a monster year, uh, really shot the ball well. He's drawn comparisons to Curry and Trey Young. Um, and, you know, I think I always feel bad for guys whenever they draw comparisons like that because that puts that kid in a really difficult position. Uh, now, all of a sudden, they're, you know, playing in that superstar shadow. But he was really impressive. You know, he took time to answer every single person's question. And it seems like a really smart kid. I mean, he went to Stanford. Uh, a really smart guy. So those are two that really jumped out at me. Uh, Jalen Smith was another guy that was really impressive. Um, he had a lot of great answers and kind of talked about how crazy this process is doing everything on Zoom. Talked about picking his agent and financial advisor over Zoom, not even meeting them face to face. So it's a weird year. I mean, obviously, we're all adjusting to that. You know, we don't have a NBA draft combine to go to this year. So it was a it's a unique year, but uh, the, the prospects were all good sports. And, uh, and at least we got a chance to talk to them a little bit. And uh, Vinny, you know, Golden State picked second in this draft, and and Golden State's going to have two pretty important guys back with Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. Uh, you know, Curry came back right before the the pandemic shut down the season, and Clay Thompson, we're seeing him in commercials, but we haven't seen him on the court in a long time after he blew out his knee in last year's finals. Uh, and they have the number two pick, Vinny. Um, do you expect them to trade that pick, or you think they're going to they're going to take a, a, a Lamelo Ball or a James Wiseman or an Odie Topin, You know, one of the top players in this draft. It's really going to depend on you know in those situations, as you know, Chris. You you know you look at your team. What are your needs? What positions? And and what's in the draft? I mean, obviously, getting a uh, a draft pick from a uh, salary cap standpoint is always effective because you can lock them in for three four years. Um, so obviously they're going to look at that, um, but like you touched upon, getting Clay Thompson and Steph Curry back is not a bad thing for Steve Kerr and the organization and the fans and how dynamic and how uh, you know great of players those guys are. So I think they're going to look at the fit. They're going to look at the overall uh, package of you know what they can get in the in the uh, in the market uh, for the number one pick, or if they're trying to get off certain players' contracts, or if they're trying to add certain younger players as they move forward. So. Um, Golden State, if Kelly Thompson and Steph Curry are healthy, are going to be right back in the mix. I mean, they're just great players, and they're used to winning. Um, so I, I think everything right now in Golden State is probably on the board in terms of what can we get for the second pick, what financially can we get off of insert money and try to get us some flexibility if they can create any with the number of high-level contracts and players they have, um, or do they want to add someone that they can lock in um, that they feel is going to be a cornerstone for their organization uh, for years to come and fit a fit a void that they have, whether it's a small forward position, uh, whether another big guy up front uh, to give them some more rim protection. Uh, we know how dynamic Draymond Green is at times, uh, both especially at the defensive end. So um, I would look at more how can I take pressure off Clay and how can I take pressure off Steph when teams trap and make them pay for trapping. They've always been very good at that. Um, so a lot of things are going to go into it. And I think uh, as they've done in the past, Golden State will make sound, uh, smart decisions uh, to see what's best overall for their roster. One thing to add, LaMelo Ball was asked about Golden State as a fit. LeVar Ball had come out and said that LaMelo didn't fit with the Warriors and that 
he couldn't, you know, see him going there and didn't want him to go there. And we all know, you know, LeVar has made a lot of comments in the past and it kind of puts his sons in an awkward position because then they have to answer for it. But LaMelo said, you know, I'm my own man. I would love to play there. I would feel like I fit with any team. Um, so he did distance himself from some of those comments. But I would say, I think of all the interviews, LaMelo was probably the least impressive. Just very short answers. Seemed like he didn't want to be there. I hope his NBA interviews with teams didn't go the same way his media interview went. I'll say that. <laughs> well, these, you know, when when you're interviewing uh, incoming rookies, you know, you really never gonna uh, know what you're gonna get. Some are real entertaining, and some look like it's, you know, you're you're trying to pull their teeth out. But they, you know, <laughs> they eventually learn it's part of the business, and uh, if you if you don't treat it like a chore, it can actually be enjoyable and help you extend your career. Uh, but back to Golden State. Uh, Vinny, you had mentioned getting off money, and that, that may be kind of tough for them with Andrew Wiggins. They just got him, yeah, um, and he's yep. got, he's making twenty nine and a half million next year, and thirty one and a half million the year after that, and thirty three point six the year after that, and that's a real, mm-hmm. real large contract to move, and uh, and difficult to move. Although you learn in the NBA, if you've been covering it long enough, nothing is impossible. But another name that's yes. been uh, bandied about in trade rumors, um, Vinny, is is Drew Holiday of the New Orleans Pelicans, and that's another team that's out there looking for a coach. Uh, terrific defender, you know, great great on both ends of the ball, but really an, uh, uh, one of the top uh, backcourt defenders in the league. Uh, do you think they, they would actually move him? It depends on the package. I'm a big Drew Holiday guy. I, I love his, um, his, his consistency at both ends of the court, his size. If you need him to score, he can score. He can lock in defensively, has high basketball IQ, competes at a high level, has good strength and good size. Um, so I'm a big fan. I think he's a, one of the more underrated players in the league. Um, it would be hard to give him up, but at the end of the day, depending on what the package is and what you can get for him, um, but man, he's he's a heck of a player. Um, well, you know, easy to coach. Uh, he just gets it. Uh, you know, when you when you talk to him and you're around him, um, he's about the right thing. So anybody that uh, adds them to their organization and roster is going to be. Uh, you know, be very smart by doing that. But it, it always comes down to in these things when you're on these phone conversations and you're putting packages together and trying to make moves. You know, uh, are we better in the long run? What is our actual goal? Are we trying to add young talent? Are we trying to build for the future? Are we trying to kill, you know, clean up some uh, some bad contracts, clean up some space? Are we trying to, you know, win this year? Are we? What are, what are we trying to do? What's our? You, you can't have like a one or two year goal. You have to have like a plan in place and be creative and be and get a little lucky. We know there's some luck involved too, but all these things will come down to that. You know, can we get off a big contract with a with a high pick, or do we want to keep the high pick and move it in another direction? So, uh, Drew Holiday to me is is a tremendous player. You add him to your roster, you're going to be better in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I I think they're nuts if they trade him or if they trade Derek Favors or JJ Redick. Those are glue guys and veteran guys that. As Zion Williamson is going to move on, and, and Lonzo Ball is going to, get a, you know, as these guys grow older uh, in their careers, they they need good influences around them, and they need guys who have been through wars before. And you know, the Pelicans came pretty close to, to being a playoff team this year if Zion had been healthy the entire season. They might have been top eight. Um, so you know, we'll see with the Pelicans. But one team that really does uh, have to move some bodies and may lose a key one in uh, Danilo Gallinari through free agency. That's Oklahoma City Thunder, and uh, I want to ask both of you, um, Vinny, you go first. You think the, the OKC uh, Thunder are going to move Chris Paul? I think they have to decide what direction they're going to go in. I mean, they have 
uh, and don't quote me on this, they have several uh, draft picks coming up in the next three, four years uh, with everything they cleared with, uh, obviously, Westbrook and things and players. Um, Chris's contract is, is large. He's older now, um, but he's, a, he's still a, a top player in the league, as we know. Uh, so uh, it'll be really their decision in which way they're going to go with the coach they bring. Are they going to go with a younger coach and use their draft picks and, and develop it in free agency? Um, or are they going to, you know, is Chris going to want to move on? Um, and can they move his contract and, and what's available? It's his, uh, you know, he's under contract this year and, and uh, his option next year. So it's really going to depend on what direction they go and how much they want to clear. Gallinari and, and guys you have to sign, does that put them way, way out in the tax moving forward? So really it's going to be an organizational decision. And then I think they can decide on what's the right coach for them and what the right direction is in terms of the draft and free agency and what they have to clear uh, from player standpoint, how much, how many, how many uh, picks are they going to have to give up to get rid of, uh, to to move Chris's contract, if any, or does anybody have enough space to absorb that now? No. So uh, let's see what happens. But they have to make a decision on their direction first, and I think then the rest of it plays out. Well, one team that could take him that in a lopsided trade, they'd have to give up some salary they couldn't absorb his full salary. Mm-hmm. But that team is the New York Knicks because the Pistons, the Hawks, and the Knicks have more cap space than anybody. And, uh, Alex, I've heard talk around the league that uh, the Knicks would go after Chris Paul for the upcoming season because they think that might unlock the, the door for Giannis Antetokounmpo to come as a free agent to, the, to New York uh, a year from now in the, uh, after the upcoming season, if it happens, is, is over. Uh, what do you make of that sort of – I don't want to call it a conspiracy theory, but that, that may be – uh, that that narrative that's out there that Chris Paul is the ticket for for Giannis to come to New York. I'll be honest with you, I don't think it makes much sense. I don't know why that would lead to Giannis joining the Knicks. I think, if anything, you know, we've seen in recent years. I think the key in today's NBA to attracting star players is having a really strong young core um, that you know can impress some of these guys, and then also give you the trade chips to be able to go out and acquire stars that become available. You know, LeBron James joins the Lakers because of their young talent and the impressive core they had. And they're able to flip some of those guys to get Anthony Davis. Um, you know, we saw that with the Brooklyn Nets. You know, they're not necessarily a super young team, but they were a solid team that really impressed Kyrie Irving and, and Kevin Durant. I don't know if going after Chris Paul and bringing on that huge contract makes a lot of sense. I think it's almost better for New York to just try to load up on younger guys, keep your, keep your cap flexibility, keep your draft capital, and, and try to build up, you know, an impressive team uh, without going in and adding Chris Paul, who is going to be making $41 million next year, $44 million player option the year after that. Um, so, I mean, I get why Oklahoma City would want to do it. I mean, this is the definition of a sell-high trade. You know, you they went and traded for Chris Paul in order to get the draft picks, and they also wanted him to, you know, benefit their culture and, you know, lead their younger players. And, you know, he was able to exceed all expectations at Oklahoma City. So I, I think – you know, Oklahoma City is building for the future. I, I believe they have 26 first-round picks in the next six years, which is insane. Um, they've done a fantastic job of, you know, acquiring those draft picks. Um, and they still have some veterans that they can flip to get additional draft capital, potentially, or young players. So I think if you're the Thunder, you know, you're building for the future. Any success that the team has in the near future or right now is just icing on the cake. So I see why Oklahoma City would want to do a deal like that. I'm just not sure it makes sense for the Knicks. I don't know. If I'm, if I'm Giannis, I don't think I'm all of a sudden excited about New York uh, because they have 
an aging Chris Paul and a number of young players. I think it'd be better for the Knicks to, you know, save that, uh, that cap space, go after some other star players and, and develop their guys, develop their pieces so that they can have better trade chips in the future. Yeah, the people advancing that theory are going under the under, uh, under the belief that Giannis uh, got very close to Chris Paul and during their time together in the bubble, and has said has said I would you know I would love to play with Chris Paul someday, and so people are extrapolating. Well, if I can get Chris Paul, then maybe I can get Giannis, and you know Chris is only going to they would only have a year together unless Chris Paul drank continued to drink from the fountain of youth and got another extra year on his contract. But uh, that's the that's the origin of, of where that's coming from. Uh, and Benny, I want to turn turn back to you now because there's two. Very good teams in the East that also don't have coaches that we haven't spoken about, uh, Philadelphia and Indiana. Um, real quickly, what's, uh, how close is Philly? How close is Indiana to being a contender for the championship? Well, Indiana, you know, um, I'm, I'm a little biased because Nate McMillan was my college roommate. I thought he did a fantastic job there in Indiana. Um, you know, the Oladipo situation in Indiana obviously is going to dictate a lot there. Indiana has been consistently, um, you know, a playoff team. Um, you know, Kevin Pritchard's done a good job there in a lot of areas with their roster and things, but uh, style of play, you know, um, what, what do they really want? What are they looking for um, um, that they, that they didn't have, uh, you know, last season. So um, I think Indiana is an interesting job. I think they have to make some decisions on what they want to do from that standpoint. Um, as far as Philadelphia, um, you know, uh, different names have come out. We're talking about, you know, Joel Embiid, one of the top players in this league. Uh, incredibly uh, talented big man. We know Ben Simmons' ability. What's their roster going to look like as well to build around those guys and style of play? Um, and that'll dictate who they hire as a coach, if they're going to play, obviously, more of a, a faster-paced system or if they're going to be more balanced offensively and defensively. How do they think they can be most productive with their star players and what players they can build around? You know, just to get back to the Chris Paul thing, I think uh, anytime you have a player of that stature and you have the ability to get him, you have to look at it. But in Chris's situation, he would have to opt in on a second year before you would want to give up a lot of assets because he could come there for just a year. You're renting him and giving up too many young assets, draft picks, and then he doesn't stay or you don't land the other free agent you think you're going to land. And now you've given up kind of the next few, few you know, the future of your teams even more in New York. So all those things come into play. But in the coaching thing, it really comes down to, you know, style of play, development of players, how you're going to build around your superstars, what is their best style to be successful um, and to buy into the system that you're building. And every coach has some different philosophies, um, and that will dictate the, the interview process for a lot of those guys. You know, if I'm, if I'm Leon Rose, I'll, I tell Oklahoma City, look, I'll, I'll give you Bobby Portis for Chris Paul, and the, the salaries don't match, but Portis is a player or a team option, and that's a way to save uh, Golden, or excuse me, Oklahoma City could take in Portis and then not pick up his team option, and all of a sudden they're $42 million richer. And we've learned over the years that Oklahoma City Thunder's owners love to keep their money rather than pay luxury taxes. So, But uh, Leon Rose, of course, taking over the New York Knicks. If, if Sam Presky asks for anything more than Portis, he's got to hang up the phone. He's taking a lot of money off his hands. You're not getting a single draft pick or a single young young player. Um it just doesn't make any sense from a Knicks standpoint for me. That's in the in the that remains to be seen column. We don't know what the cap's going to be for next year. We don't know where they're going to be playing games next season. If there's going to be a, a bunch of bubbles or 
you know, Adam Silver was saying last night at his annual NBA Finals news conference, he wants to have fans in the stands, but it's going to be on a city-by-city basis because yeah. there are different different rules in different states as to how many people can get into arenas. And, you know, let's all hope for the best that, that we can have a full season and, and that it's 82 games and that it can start as soon as possible. January 1st would be fantastic, but there's a lot up in the air there. And, uh, oh. Alex, I want to throw it back to you, and I, I want to give you a chance. You're the managing editor of a brand-new website, basketballnews.com, where, where, where both myself and Vinny have come aboard. Why don't you just, in uh, 30 seconds or less, tell us why this is a great website. Yeah, we're super excited. Uh, you know, we basically are putting out original articles, original podcasts, original videos. Eventually, we want to do some long-form content like web series and documentaries. Um, we have a really great staff. That's really what, you know, impressed me when I was hearing this vision. The, they wanted to, you know, not only hire top journalists like yourself, Chris, but also great basketball minds and, you know, current and former NBA players and coaches like Vinny here. Uh, and then also, you know, we have James Posey, Kenyon Martin, Atan Thomas, Troy Brown Jr. Uh, you know, we have other great writers like Nikias Duncan, Spencer Davies, Kelsey O'Brien. So I'm really excited. You know, we have a lot of the players and you know, former players, coaches providing that uh, perspective on things. Really, that's the thing. You know, it's not just top journalists that are covering the game and writing every day and doing these podcasts. It's also the player and coach perspective. And, you know, we've seen there's a really there's a hunger for that player driven content. You know, we see a lot of players doing their own podcasts now and doing their own videos. So I'm really excited. I think we have a great staff and check out basketballnews.com because we have a lot of great content on the front page right now. Yeah, and if you're a draft fan, uh, don't forget we have Matt Babcock, uh, Pete, Pete Babcock's son. Um, he's a draft expert, and uh, you know Alex has spent a, a ton of time doing his homework on the draft, and that'll be here before you know it. Um, we're already in October, and so the draft is next month, and that all sounds weird, but it's been a weird year, 2020. Uh, Alex Kennedy and, and Vinny Del Negro, I want to thank you for for joining me on the Sheridan Show, episode one, and listeners, uh, you. Uh, Vinny Del Negro is doing some really good work uh, for a couple of charities. One is the, the Jimmy V Foundation, and you can look that up at uh, JimmyV.org. Uh, of course, that's the, the, uh, the organization fighted by, uh, founded by Jim Valvano, uh, who died from cancer. Uh, and then also there's another site called MercyGives.org. Uh, it's for Brightside. That helps out some troubled kids in, in Massachusetts, um, and, and Vinny spends a lot of his time um, working with uh, with both of these charitable foundations, and uh, and they could use whatever support you can give. So, fellas, again, great having you on. Great insight, Vinny. Wow, good stuff about the coaching. Good stuff about the the uh, the NBA finals. Let's hope we have a more competitive game too. And uh, Alex, oh, of course, always terrific insight. And thanks for telling us about the new site. I'm real excited about being aboard, and uh, uh, this thing's going to grow and 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 be a monster uh, in the years to come. So I'm I'm really glad to be on the ground floor. And we're going to wrap it up, folks. Um, I'll be back uh, with another basketballnews.com podcast uh, in, the, in the days and or weeks ahead, just depending on what the news cycle uh, brings us. But uh, there's all sorts of great content at basketballnews.com. And if you're a podcast fan, check out the postcast because James Posey is doing that. And if he doesn't end up on Tyron Lewis' staff in the, with the Los Angeles Clippers, we'll have a lot more James Posey post, uh, postcasts <laughs> coming at you in the days and weeks ahead. So, fellas, again, thanks very much for joining me. And, uh, and to everybody else out there, uh, stay healthy, stay safe. Don't do anything stupid. Wear a mask when you're supposed to, please. Thank you. Over and out, folks. We'll be back again soon. <laughs>